This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, as you know, and we're going to read verses 8 through 21. And we're going to look at Christ the Lord. So let's read this section together. And then we'll pray that our eyes and our hearts would hear what God has brought us together, whether here in this room or online, wherever you might happen to be participating today in this Christmas Sunday. Um, We pray that God would open our hearts to hear what he brought, he uh, has us here to hear. Let's, Let's read verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. At the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father God, we come to the section of Scripture today that is perhaps among some of the most familiar of all Scriptures. And God, my fear is that some might be so familiar with Christmas that they may actually wrongly presume to be understanding of it, to be transformed by it, and enjoy because of it. And so, Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit right now to just to fill me and to fill this room and to fill those who are listening, that we might come back to the living Word of God and experience life and new life, and that, Lord, we would have a deeper appreciation for, a deeper understanding of, and a a deeper adoration of Jesus this Christmas season. And because of that, this Christmas will be celebrated with renewed joy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the birth of Jesus, something that history has had been anticipating for hundreds of years. 
at that time that we are reading about right now. And I think it's easy to underestimate the longing and the expectation that was surrounding, you know, and the anticipation that was in the world at that time, the Jewish world in particular. I mean, from the very first sin all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and the promise of a Savior back at that time, thousands of years before, in the Old Testament, a few thousand years of history was happening, and people were waiting, constantly waiting for the coming of this Savior, this rescuer, a deliverer, a hero. And along the way, there were certain prophecies that were given, promises that were revealed by God that we've talked about through his servants, through his prophets, that this coming would be none other than Emmanuel, God come to be with us. God coming into the creation that he made to be with the people that he created. That he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in this small little town called Bethlehem. And Luke, the great historian, funded by Theophilus, does all of his investigative work, and he writes for us this truthful, accurate, biblical, historical biography of Jesus. And he says that there was an occasion where an angel came, uh, an angel's name was Gabriel, he showed up to this barren elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They'd been waiting and wanting a, for a child. They were beyond childbearing years, well beyond childbearing years. All hope was pretty much lost that they would ever have a child. And this angel shows up to them and says, hey, your prayers have been answered. You're going to give birth to a son, and his name's going to be John, and then Jesus is going to be his cousin. He's going to be the forerunner, the prophet, the preparer of the way for the coming of Jesus, who will be the Messiah. Well, just as well, that same angel, Gabriel, then made a visit about 100 miles away, leaving that rural Judean hillside and going into the small little country town of Nazareth to a young woman, a teenager, betrothed to a man named Joseph, and her name was Mary. And this angel revealed to her that she has found favor with God, or grace, she has found grace in the sight of God and that God has chosen her to give birth to the one, the promised one, that all of history at that time, all of Jewish history had been anticipating the one that they said, the angel said, you would name him Jesus. He would be the Christ. He is the God. He is God who has become man. And her question, she had one question. And it was obvious. She was, well, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? She was betrothed to be married. She had never slept with her husband she wasn't married yet. Technically, it was like an engagement. And she says, how can, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? And the angel informed her that this would be a miracle of God. All of this happened. It all happened. And as she was approaching the time of the birth of Christ, there was another thing that was taking place behind the scenes for political and financial reasons and military purposes the government wanted to call a census, and they did this regularly. So everyone was then, because of the census, required to go in to their hometown and register. And both Joseph, and you know, who was Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, and Mary, who was Jesus' mother, they were both of the city of David. They were from the line of David, I should say. And David was from this little town of Bethlehem. So they had to go to this, what would be the city of David, which was the town of Bethlehem, in order to register for the census. And the, and the town was filled with people. And so they arrived there, and there was no place for them to stay. And so we know the story. They ended up staying in an animal shelter, an animal stall, kind of seeking any shelter that they possibly could for the night. And it was there that Mary gave birth to Jesus, which Galatians says, in the fullness of time. 
Paul says in Galatians, which means that God worked all of this out. God worked all of this out so that this couple from Nazareth, not from Bethlehem, from Nazareth, would be in Bethlehem at just the right time for Jesus to be born of this virgin girl in Bethlehem, fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecy and all the expectation and all the promise. And then Jesus is born, and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths, and they put him down, they bundled him up tight, and, they, and, they, and he comes. And think about this. He comes not in wealth, but in poverty. And he comes not to a big city, but to a small little town. And he comes not to these well-known parents, but to humble peasant people. And he's laid in his first throne, which is not a bassinet or a crib, but it's a feeding trough that animals use. So God comes into human history humbly. And that's the story. That's the story. But there's a group of people that we haven't talked about much yet, and that's the shepherds. We know from Luke's words that we read here today, that there was another unidentified angel, we don't know who this angel was, who showed up in the fields to announce this birth to shepherds. Now, these guys were unlikely to be chosen for anything, I'll just say. Like, if you've ever played, like if when you were growing up, you ever played a shepherd in a Christmas play, anybody play a shepherd? Hate to tell you, you got the worst part. <laughs> that was... Yeah, I was a shepherd at one point. I mean, you know, every, and no one really wanted to be a shepherd because all you did was stand there, right? And then whoever was playing the sheep, you had to kind of keep track of that little toddler or you had to keep who's being the sheep. Shepherds were weird, guys. If you look up any history about shepherds in that day, they lived out by themselves, outside of town, sleeping in the open, often with their animals, all the time. That's not a job that you shoot for. <laughs> That's a job you end up with, right? A shepherd. That's what a shepherd is. Additionally, so they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're just kind of, people looked at shepherds as kind of weird guys. They, they, they couldn't necessarily, they could never make it to the temple because they were always taking care of their sheep. They couldn't make it to the sacrifices and the feasts because they couldn't abandon their flock. They couldn't, they couldn't maintain all the same religious devotion and the religious traditions that the rest of God's people did. And so many looked at shepherds as, as kind of outcasts and outsiders. They really weren't part of the normal society of people that did normal things. Some people actually thought that shepherds were crooks and thieves. That, what they, that they were kind of a suspicious group of people. They couldn't even testify in court. They were the lowest of low in society, shepherds were. So when the angel shows up to shepherds, that was surprising. That would have been a surprise. That, that's another one of these little tidbits of the story that makes you go, huh, why would he show up to shepherds? No one ever showed up to hang out with shepherds. And yet, when God decides to declare that he's come, he proclaims to them, these lowest of society, these shepherds, good news. Good news. That good news was coming. And these shepherds were the last people in the region that would have expected to hear good news. I'll just be honest with you. They're just out there with sheep all the time, animals all the time. And all of a sudden, a messenger from God, an angel, comes to them. And they hear the good news. It's very curious to me how God comes in a really humble way. He comes to humble Mary in a humble town, and he announces it to humble shepherds. It's just amazing the way he unfolds his magnificent plan for humanity, for the salvation of human beings. I mean, God takes the lowly, 
the people and things that are worth very little according to culture. And he works with them for his glory by his grace. And that's what he still does to this day. Listen, God hasn't changed. He's still done the same thing. He's always done this. Moses was a shepherd. David was just a young shepherd boy. We were told when he took down the, the giant, Goliath. Amos, the prophet Amos, you may not even know who Amos is. There's a, pro, there's a book in the Bible called Amos. And Amos says, why do you want me to preach, God? I'm just a shepherd. Look it up. That's what these guys were. But you know what the Bible tells us? That Jesus himself comes as the good, what? Shepherd. Paul says that, in, or in, uh, Peter says that in 1 Peter 5, and John says it in John chapter 10. Jesus says it about himself, that he is the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of the church is another way of putting that. That's Jesus' relationship with us as the church. And so God reveals this really, this, this, this plan, and he redeems even this really unpopular, insignificant profession of people, these shepherds, and he shows, by doing so, he shows that he is humble and he's willing to look out for us because we are sheep, he says, which are not the most brilliant of animals, by the way. They're altogether defenseless, sheep are. I mean, no one has ever been scared of a sheep. I mean, people who are afraid of dogs aren't afraid of sheep, right? I mean, you, you could walk out through a shepherd, a sheep field, and I doubt if you'd be afraid of a sheep. They're just, they're, the Bible says that we're like that, though. That, that, that's how the Bible compares us in, in, terms of what, in terms of God and who he is and what he knows and his power. We're like sheep, which are defenseless and silly and wandering and not real sharp. And even though some of us might say, well, wait a minute, I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty proficient. Yeah, but you know what? For a sheep, that's not that big of a deal, right? You might be one of the smartest sheep, but still a sheep. And that's what that is. And just like shepherds tend to their sheep, and the shepherds are devoted to their sheep, and the shepherd are willing to lay down their lives for the sheep, Jesus comes to be the good shepherd for us because that is exactly his relationship to us. And so it's not surprising that this announcement from the angels, God sends an angel to shepherds. And at that time, other angels show up, right? And this announcement is made to these shepherds and they know, they've been anticipating. The long anticipated one, they are told by this angel, has in fact come, he's here, he's been born, that God has become a man. That's what they're being told. And that's what they would have believed was happening because they were expecting it. They knew it. They were looking for it. God had given them history and prophecies and very detailed prophecy. And listen, here's a really cool thing to think about. We don't know this for sure, but it's very possible because we know Jewish culture and the purpose of sheep. It's possible that these shepherds were out raising sheep to be sacrificed in the temple for sin. They knew they knew the story. And the angel reports this news to them. And there's rejoicing and there's praising. And the shepherds make the journey, probably only a mile or so. I mean, in the town, they probably would have known where they were going. They were shepherds. They weren't that far away. But they get into Bethlehem, and it's packed with people for the census. And they're looking around for this particular son who was newly born. And I'm sure it probably took a number of hours just to make the journey, but then to ask questions, hey, where is he? Going around seeking this son. And they finally get to this cave, this, this stable where they have animals, and they find Jesus. Christmas. 
This, this is Christmas. That's Christmas. So take everything that you ever thought Christmas is, right? I mean, everything, the way we celebrate Christmas, everything you associate with Christmas, I don't know why, I mean, shopping bags, big, beautiful, lit up trees, snow, right? Parties, fancy dinners, dressing up, new clothes, new things, stress. <laughs> But if Christmas is anything, it's humble. That's what it is. It's really amazing, I think, the way we celebrate Christmas. I mean, the way we celebrate Christmas, all of the elements that, are, that we associate with Christmas every single season is very much the opposite of what Christmas is. It's the opposite of the way it happened, of what happened in every possible way. Small, unknown, insignificant, poor, unable to buy gifts. Christmas is a humble event in every way imaginable. And the Luke 2 Christmas story can be one of those sections of scripture, I think, that we're so familiar with that we're not actually that familiar with it at all. I mean, we know what it says because we know that this is where we get the season that we celebrate, and so it's, so it's one of the most familiar stories to us, but sometimes I think even though we know what it says, we don't really know what it means. And when there's a clue given in, in Luke, in chapter 2, verse 11, when, he speaks to, when the angel speaks to the shepherds, the angel gives us a clue about what it means when he says this about Jesus, and I quote, he is Christ the Lord. Now let that, let that be Lord here, is preeminent. That's what this means. It means he is the ruler over all, and he's come to be with us. And I, and I want to emphasize to you in this Christmas message this morning, this, this thing. I want, and I want this to stay very just pressed in your heart and in your mind, that this Lord is the rightful, exclusive position of Jesus Christ. Lord. It is the rightful, exclusive position of Jesus. You see, what can happen with, the, with us is this. I think some of us can be so familiar with the Christmas story that we try and insert Jesus into whatever our worldview is. Because we all have a, a worldview. What I mean, and I want to talk about this for a second. What is a worldview? It's, it's just your perception of things. Typically, our worldview has been shaped by our experiences. By, and it can be shaped by a lot of things. By your experiences, by your upbringing, by your education, by your family. I mean, it could be any number of things. Every time you experience something different, it's shaping your worldview. And anytime you ponder something and change your mind about something, your worldview is being shaped. And we're always tweaking, we're always shaping our worldview, which is just our perception of life and existence and reality. Our worldview, our perception of reality, every single person's worldview begins with their perception of God. God or not God. It, it, it begins there. Like, where did we come from? What is the purpose of all this? That's what a worldview is. So your worldview begins there with your perception of God and reality, and your worldview includes how you perceive your relationship with this God and your purpose in this life, your purpose of your life and what happens with your life and all of those big existential questions, right? That's what your worldview is. 
And, and I want, as we are right now fully absorbed into this holiday season, I mean, it is, it is here. I love where this Sunday falls because we've got a few more days of anticipation. That's, the, that's, the most, isn't that the, that's sort of the most beautiful thing about Christmas is the anticipation. How many of you on Christmas Day, you're like, oh, that's over, right? Take down the lights, right? It's the, the, the thing about Christmas that's exciting is the anticipation. It's not Christmas Day, right? But here, here we are. So we, we got a few more days of anticipation, a few more days of expectation, a lot like what the, the, the Jewish people were looking for and expecting when they were expecting a Messiah. And so what I want us to do is I really want us to treasure and ponder and consider these things. These things. What does it mean that God became a man? What does it mean that Jesus came and when he came, he came very humbly? Like all the circumstances surrounding the way he came was extremely humble. What does it mean and what does it mean that this humble Savior is Lord? And what does that mean in the way, in light of the way I perceive reality? How does this store, how does this impact my worldview? The reason all of what we have discussed up till now is so important. And the reason why you need to compare all of these things, this message of Christ coming into the world as a child, as a person, as a man, the reason why you need to compare it with your worldview, your current worldview, and your current life and direction and purpose is because of this. I don't want any of us to interject Jesus into a false ideology because that happens all the time. It happens all the time. You see, some, are, some people are so familiar with the birth story of Jesus and the nativity set, right, on the mantle and the lights on the house and the songs on the radio that they have this prevailing worldview of Christmas and thus a prevailing worldview of Christianity and they just stick Jesus into it. This is my worldview of things and I'm gonna stick Jesus into it. And he is, as the angel says, Christ the Lord. That's who he is. The angel says, this is what Christianity is. He is, it means he is Lord. And what that means is this, this is not a world religion. This is where we get ourselves into trouble as Christians with the world, right, when we say this. But you know what? So be it. It's not a world religion. It's the truth. It's about Jesus. And the story is that God is the creator. And he is eternally existing. He's a spirit being that he is the creator who made this physical world in which we live. The heavens as well and the earth and all that is. And God made us male and female in his likeness with dignity and value and worth. And God spoke to us in relationship. He gave us moral standards and commands to obey that we might be able to enjoy life in a perfect world. But instead, we chose to disobey and sin, which introduced this perfect creation to what we know as death, which comes because of sin. Basically, what happened in the, in, the, in, the, in the garden was they chose to follow Satan rather than God. The same thing we do. We prefer to choose lies over truth. And in doing so, they traded intimacy with God for hiding from God, which is what we still do. Because of sin, creation then has been affected all throughout history, and everything we know in this life is stained and marred by sin. 
But then God came, even then, in Genesis chapter 3, God came and he promised them in Genesis 3, 15, our, our first parents, he promised them that one day there would be one who would come in human history as a man born of a woman. And the Old Testament prophets declared that he would be born before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed because he would go to the temple, that he would be born to the virgin woman, that he would be born in this little small town of Bethlehem, that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us, that his, that his birth would be announced by angels that he would come as the Savior, that all of this would take place. Then the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to have this child. You're the one. You're chosen. You're going to name him Jesus, which means he is our Savior, meaning that the Creator would enter into creation, that God would come among us, that he would come as Savior, that he would come to live in poverty and humility and simplicity, that he would come made like us to identify with us that he would suffer that he would be betrayed that he would be abused that he would be berated and belittled that he would ultimately be shamed and mocked and scorned and that we those who created we were the ones to do that we're the ones that did that till we killed God and that God would willingly die in our place for our sins and that he would rise to give us salvation and that he would reconcile sinners to God because he is the God-man who is able to reconcile man to God. And so we come from God. We belong to God. We're here for God and for his glory. And by the Holy Spirit, God is here with us while we live in this world, in this life. And even still, he promises us that one day we'll stand before God and experience a perfect eternity with God where sin and all of its effects are reality no more. That's the truth. That's Christianity. And the way this all works itself out in life is absolutely practical. It is very practical. I get really frustrated when I hear people say things like, well, I'm not into philosophy or theology. I just need it practical. Just give me the practical. Well, okay, I'll give you practical. Here's practical. What you think determines how you live. What you believe determines how you live. So what you think determines how you suffer. What you think determines how you work. What you think determines how you speak. What you think determines how you die. You see, what you think and believe determines everything else in your life. Oh, this is practical. And what I love is this. God has come to make himself seen. Jesus, they saw him. He's come to make himself known. Don't you love that? I mean, you, you see hints of this all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Old Testament, you see it. There's Jacob, this trickster, this con man. What happens? A ladder comes down from heaven. What's happening there? Huh? God's coming down to be with us. Moses is leading the children of Israel. How's he leading them? Well, a pillar of a cloud is actually the one leading them. So God has come down to lead them. The Ark of the Covenant is built. What's the purpose of that? So that God comes down to be with his people. Even in the Old Testament, the temple is built. And in the Holy of Holies, God comes to be with his people. You see, the story of the whole Bible is this over and over and over again. It's God saying, I come down to you. You don't go up to me. It's, it's about me being humbled, not you being religious. And then Jesus comes. Jesus, all of this culminates to Jesus coming, born of a woman, and he comes humbly into human history. He comes as our Savior. You want to know what all the other worldviews have in common? 
Like when I say worldviews, you know, every worldview begins with your perception of God. So there's atheism, there, there is no God. Ag- agnosticism is sort of a worldview, it's just sort of a, there may be a God, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to even think about that. Deism, monism, theism, it pretty much includes all the others besides Christianity. The one thing they all have in common is this. God's not the Savior. I mean, even in theism, which is a belief in this existence of a supreme being, that there is, that there is a God, but he's, he's not the Savior. You're your own Savior in all these other worldviews. There is no Savior. In Christianity, God is the Savior. He's the hero. He's the rescuer. He's the redeemer. He's the hope. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news to me. (laughs) I mean, if there's no hope, (laughs) that's not good news. I mean, if I'm the hope, if it's got to be me, that's not good news either. (laughs) If he's the hope, well, that's, that's some good news right there. And that's exactly what the angel says. And that's our verse of the day. Make it your verse of the week, right? Make it the verse of your life. Here's what the angel says. And if you don't trust an angel, who are you going to trust? (laughs) Verse 2, or chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He says, I bring you good news. So here it is. That's the preaching of the gospel. Gospel means good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let's just close today by unpacking that statement right there, all right? That's how we're going to conclude this today. So the angel says you. I bring you, right? You. So this is personal. You and me, we get good news. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news, right? So atheism, deism, pantheism, panentheism, theism, it's not good news. Jesus, good news. That's good news. It's good news for you, for me, for us. For who? We hit this last week. Who's it for? All the people, all the people. This is where we get the idea to tell everyone. This is what mission work is about. Church planting, going into all the world, sharing this good news. Why? Because it's for all the people. All the people need to hear that a savior has come and he is for them. He loves them. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And then where is this good news being revealed in that day? He says, for unto you you is born this day in the city of David. And And here are three titles that don't come together anywhere else in the New Testament. Savior, Christ, and Lord. So Savior, what's that mean? He's the hero. He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. So it's, it's God and Satan. It's God and sinners. It's creator and creation, and we're part of creation. We've aligned ourselves with Satan and sin. We're sinners. We're rebels. And then we have a Savior who's come for us, and he's going to take away our sin. And he does that through the cross, and he gives us new life, and that happens through the resurrection. He is the Savior. That's what it means to be Savior. And the angel says he's Christ, which means he's the anointed one. He's the chosen one. He's the special one, the one that you have been longing for and expecting to see. And then the angel says he is Lord, which means he's over all religions, over all nations, over all genders, over all peoples. Christ the Lord means that this good news, which is Christianity, is not a world religion. Lord means he is supreme over all religions, all beliefs, all worldviews. He is Lord. Now, I know some might still ask, 
what does this have to do with life and that which is practical? Let me culminate all of this for you in a thought about the things that are happening today. COVID-19, it's awful. For many reasons, it's awful. One reason is because it's a sickness that could lead to complications and death if you get it. And whether that's the result of it for the majority of people or just a small percentage of people, it's not really the point. The fact is, no one really knows how it's going to affect them. And that's the truth. That's why there's so much confusion about it. And so for this reason, many are afraid and living genuinely in fear of unknown possibilities of the virus. And another reason COVID-19 is awful is because of the ways in which the world has responded to it is also devastating people. Now, right or wrong, that's not what I'm here to dispute. The fact is, it's an awful truth that people are being devastated by a virus without even getting it. NBC News just reported uh, last week about a 16-year-old young man named Spencer Smith from Maine who committed suicide last week. Played football, but everything was shut down. It's, it's even worse up there. And his father said that his son left a note behind detailing his struggles with being isolated. And he wrote in his note, his suicide note, that he felt like he was locked in this house. And it said more, but I won't go into it. It's awful. Everything about it is awful. And you know, if I was an, if I was an atheist and I had the chance to speak to Spencer Smith, you know, go show up at his house and speak to him before he committed suicide, what would I have told him? Well, according to what I know, as I listen to Sam Smith and some of these other guys, is, is well, the, you know, this universe is cold, it's empty, it's bleak, but so what? It's the fittest who survive. And he probably would have felt like, well, maybe he wasn't one of those. And if I were agnostic or, or a deist that believed that there might be something out there, I would have said, look, God's probably out there somewhere, but he's not personal. He's not really involved in this world. It's, it's we make our own choices, which means you're kind of on your own. He doesn't really know your name. He's not watching your life. He's not going to help. I mean, there probably is a God, but we just can't know him. So you're just kind of on your own. If I were a monist, someone who was into the spiritual, spirituality of pantheism or panentheism, I, I, I would have said, well, there's not really good and evil in this. It's, it's every, everything is one and everything is God. And so you just need to identify God with everything that's happening and everything you're feeling in this pandemic. Now, while that might sound nice, confusingly nice, it doesn't really help. But I'm not any of those. I'm a Christian which means Christ is Savior and Lord. And had I had the opportunity to speak with Spencer Smith, which perhaps there are others right now, I mean, here, maybe even watching online, who feel the same kind of despair and loneliness that he felt. And so, if so, I'm speaking this to you right now. I would tell him that Jesus is a Savior. He's Christ, the Lord. He doesn't do evil. He's altogether good. 
He has suffered for you just as you're suffering right now, and he will comfort you because he understands. And he'll teach you about himself. And one day you'll get to enjoy eternity with Jesus and an entire family of other children of God who love him as well. And even now, even now, while you're here walking with Jesus, even in, regardless of your circumstance, he can restore your hope. He can restore the hope within you that you have maybe never felt or experienced. The kind of hope that you've never known in football or with friends or with school or work or concerts or parties. He's come to be with us so that we can have the confidence that there can be hope and joy in any circumstance. Now, when we hear that, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? Of great joy. And so the response to good news is joy. That's it. That's, that's That's why you see people with joy in a pandemic. That's why, because that's the response to good news. You've embraced the good news. And so in hearing about the birth of Jesus, here's what the angels do. In verses 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly out of nowhere, there was, this, there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts, a multitude of other angels, an angelic choir, basically, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And in hearing about the birth of Jesus, all these angels show up, they're, you know, they're beings who dwell in the presence of God, and they're showing up on earth singing his goodness and his praise. They're celebrating. They're the loud singers in the congregation, right? The hand clappers. They're the celebration, celebratory ones. So we're getting ready to sing again. And then there's Mary. And it says in verse 19 that Mary treasured all of these things up, pondering them in her heart. So some of you are more contemplative worshipers, right? Mary did sing previously here in this book, but here she's here in this moment, she's overwhelmed. And it dawns on her maybe that, hey, this baby that she's looking at, the savior, the rescuer, the hero, the deliverer, the kingdom giver, he's here in my presence. It's my son, Jesus. Emmanuel, God, is here. He's here to be with us, to save us. And she's pondering all of these things in her heart. And it's maybe like some of you, just you know, perhaps hearing this, it's just mind-bending to you. It's heart-wrenching. It's history-altering for you. And it's probably something that you might just need to sit down and think about for a few decades. And then there's the shepherds in verse 20. It says, The shepherds returned back to their fields, glorifying and praising God. So they're not as contemplative at this moment. They're active. They're active. They're going back out, and they're glorifying and praising. And as they go, perhaps other people even hear them, right? The Savior's here. Sin is forgiven. The kingdom has come. The king has arrived. They sing, and they celebrate, and there's gladness, and there's joy because there's good news for you and all the people. The Savior, Christ the Lord, has come. The Savior, Christ the Lord, has come. And the angel, the response might be in, you know, in here right now. The response might be like Mary pondering these things in your heart. And the response is also singing with your voice like the angels and the shepherds did. So let's respond. Let's pray. Father God, I pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we would ponder these things in our hearts like Mary and that we would consider them deeply, that we would feel them, that we would experience them, that we would enjoy them, that we would meditate upon them, that we would delight in them, that we would savor them, that we believe them. And God, I pray also that we would sing like the angels and the shepherds did, that we would worship with gladness and joy because we have good news of great joy for us and for all the people that a Savior has come and he is Christ the Lord. And God, I pray especially for anyone here this morning who is hurting or anyone who is participating online or maybe perhaps listening to this on a podcast feed this year or any other year. Really struggling, perhaps, through everything that we're experiencing right now. We just don't know the extent of the damage that is being caused right now either directly or indirectly. And so, Lord God, I pray that those who are struggling would see that there is good news. And his name is Jesus.